and welcome to the board game dojo. We are so happy that you are here. Thank you so much, so so much for tuning in today. We mean that from the bottom of our hearts. We know there are a lot of board game podcasts to choose from, and we appreciate you giving us the time today. Today is a Monday review episode, meaning that we are going to go over three games for you today. The first one is Ossel, a Japanese abstract game. The second one is Sweet Dog Hotel, a tile placement and area majority game, also from Japan. And the third one is going to be Haggis, a what is called modern classic of climbing and shedding games. Just want to thank you again for the interactions that we get on Twitter and Instagram. In fact, today's episode will include a little bit of a change in how we do things based partly on that feedback that we've gotten. But you're not here for an intro, you're here to hear about games, so let's get into it. The first game we are going to talk about is Ossel, a Japanese abstract game. How this game works is that you have a 5x5 grid. You have five pawns, and your opponents have five pawns that'll start on opposite ends of the board. There is also a disc in the middle that represents a hole. The point of the game is to push your opponent's pieces off of the board or into that hole. You can do this by pushing your pawns or the hole either one space up or back or left or right. There are a couple of little rules to make sure that the game doesn't break. So for example, you can't return the game state to what it was on your opponent's turn so that you can't keep pushing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So basically, if I push your piece backwards, you can't push my piece back like it was when my turn started. But other than that, that is all of the rules of the game. Very simple game. Now, this was taught to me by Discord user Mr. Ben. And also thanks to him we are going to be doing a challenge that we are going to announce with other podcasts on July 11th that week. So stay tuned for that. Now, I didn't really know what to expect from this game. I mostly just was like, okay, hey, abstract game from Japan. Let's try it out. Let's see how it is. And this game came out in 2018, but it feels like it could have come out in like 17, 18. It really feels like a game that is a couple hundred years old. There aren't many rules to it at all. And you are doing such a basic move of either going forwards or backwards, or you could go left or right. That's it. There's no certain pieces that do this certain action or this piece. If you land here, you get a special bonus. There's no cards like Onitama where you can do this action and then you have to give it to the other player. No, it's very, very simple. Move backwards or forwards, left or right. And I think what this will actually be able to do is when people start learning each other's skills, we just start learning each other's moves, there becomes a bit of a song and dance that happens. Okay, you did this, you moved here, so I'm going to move here in response. A bit of call and response, I guess you could also call it. And what I like about this is that there becomes an evolution to your plays. There becomes a development in your plays. And I kind of like to imagine what it'll be like for when Simachan and I get really good at this game going back and forth, because this feels like a game in which it's so easy to teach. It's so quick to play. It can be over in two minutes. It can be over in five minutes. It doesn't last very long. So it's a really nice game to say, okay, we're going to play best of three. We're going to play best of five, things like that. But here's the other thing, and we're going to talk about it a bit later for another game that we're going to talk about. And that is that the amount of money that a game costs really helps adjust the expectations that you have for the game. It might be an unfair thing, sure. 
but we are primed to think that the cost reflects the quality, right? You would think that if you bought a $50 bottle of wine, it is going to be better than a $10 bottle of wine. So we might be pleased, more pleased with a $10 bottle of wine, even though the taste isn't as good because it costs us $10. And guess how much Ossel actually costs? I will tell you that the original price at the game market when it released was somewhere around $13. But now, where you actually buy this game is at the dollar store. Yes, that's right. You can buy this game for 75 cents. Because now where you buy the game is Daisel, which I know has stores around the world. But for Japan, it's pretty much everywhere. It comes in a little thin box, and it is so small that you can just about bring it anywhere. It fits in a purse, it fits in a small bag. It is perfectly playable on a bullet train, which is probably the intended thing for it. But it's really nice to just have this little game that is so simple to learn and play. It is so quick. And yet, because there is no luck involved, it still feels like you are really churning your brain and getting better at it. And getting better at it with your partner. This really is a game that I think would be so good to play with kids or to play with your partner. Just somebody that you can play over and over and over together with so that you do get that call and response, that learning each other's pattern that we talked about earlier. And for 75 cents, I mean, you really cannot go wrong with this. There's not a whole lot more really to say about it, I'm sorry. It is a fine abstract game, maybe even good abstract game. I wouldn't call it great, but again, because the expectation isn't that it is going to be great, I think that I just enjoyed it more just because, you know, you don't really expect anything from a 75 cent game, but to have one that is this enjoyable, if you end up going to Japan and want something to do on a train, maybe you bring a deck of cards and Ossel. And that is Ossel, designed by Fukase Masao and published by Daiso which feels kind of weird to say. Now, the next game we are going to talk about is Sweet Dog Hotel, which we are going to give a bit of different perspective on today than if you watched our video next week. And this comes a bit from some feedback that we received from an Instagram message. And I'm just paraphrasing here. When the person said, hey, I listen to your podcast, but I don't watch your YouTube, mostly because I don't really watch YouTube. There's just too many ads. Is there a chance that you can talk more on the podcast about games that you covered on YouTube so that I can hear about them? So first of all, thank you so much for the piece of feedback. You know what? I've been on YouTube student for so long that I kind of forget how annoying the ads can be on YouTube. And I think if it's an almost 20 minute video, which our Friday videos usually are, I think there must be multiple ads. So I'm sorry that I didn't think about that in advance and I will try to do it better. I think I came up with a decent compromise and I do want your opinion on it, not only from the person that messaged me, but from other people as well. So what if I talk about the game that we covered in the longer Friday video, but from a different perspective, so that way you're hearing two different ways of hearing my opinion, both on YouTube with visuals, but also in audio form, so you can kind of get it however you prefer, but aren't getting the same thing both times, but both would be sufficient enough to get our opinion on the game. But I am going to leave, we started doing a weekly Tuesday video, we, our first one was last week, we'll have a new one coming out tomorrow. Um, I'm going to leave that one just on YouTube though, because those are going to, we're going to try to keep them very, very short between like five and eight minutes. So I don't think you'll get many ads on that one. I hope that that's a decent compromise because that way we can 
also get people going to both channels. We Maybe it's selfish, but we do want people to be on our YouTube and on our podcast. I hope that doesn't sound really selfish and annoying. But hopefully that is a decent compromise that allows us to get you more information and also allows you to pick which information you want. So saying all that, let's get into our review of Sweet Dog Hotel, which comes to us from consistently good art publisher Smart Ape Games, in which we previously covered Crypto Collector on our YouTube. And just a little story about that one, we actually reviewed it, we really liked it, and then they were going to do a new Crypto Collector Kickstarter, so we said, hey, actually, we really liked your game, we have a video of it saying that it's a good game. If you want, for totally for free, you can just put it on your Kickstarter. And that way you have a video of it. Because it would be nice to at least spread the word on some of these lesser known games. Anyway, so how Sweet Dog Hotel works is that on your turn, you have four steps to do. Step one is to simply choose one of the four tiles that you have to choose from and put it on the board somewhere. There aren't really any placement rules as long as it corresponds to the same color that you chose. So if you chose a red tile, you need to choose a red spot on the board that doesn't already have a red tile there. That's step one. Step two is based on which hotel you actually put that tile in because different hotels have different movements that you can do. So this hotel in the bottom left means that you only move your dog one space. If you put it on the top hotel, you have to move your dog four spaces. So that's step two, is actually moving the dog based on where you put the tile. Step three is based on where you land, because different spots on the board might have no bonus, but they might also have a coin bonus, or they might give you a dog treat, and we'll describe what those do later. Now step four is the reservation and accommodation action. Now you can choose to do reservation, or you can choose to do accommodation. Reservation just means you're going to put a dog from your supply onto one of the reservation spots on one of the hotels. Keep in mind that you can only reserve one spot at one hotel at a time. So I can't have three dogs in hotel number three. I can only have one dog at a time with a reservation in hotel number three. The other thing that you can do is an accommodation, which means that you move a dog that was previously placed on a reservation at a hotel from that reservation spot to a room. Now, the room is one of the tiles that you placed in step one, but it doesn't have to be one that you placed. It could be one that anybody placed. You'll book that room by paying the cost in the bottom left corner, and in the bottom right corner is how much that is worth in terms of majority, which we'll go over now. When all of the tiles run out, the game ends, and you start to do scoring, the first one being based on majority. You will tally up in each hotel individually, how many of these points in the bottom right corner you got through accommodations, because you can make multiple accommodations in the same hotel. Whoever got the most would get the points for first place, whoever got the second most would get the points for second place, and so on. You'll tally all of those up for each hotel, and that's your majority score. You'll also get a score of three points for each cafe that you did. Cafes are created when you land on one of the two spots on the board, and you have three dog treats to turn in. That's three points per cafe. Another way of getting points is by getting around the board in a loop as fast as possible. The first player to make a full loop around the board gets five points, the second one gets three points, and the third one gets one point. Next, you get one point for every two coins you have left over at the end of the game. And finally, you get points for the milestone that you could achieve during the game. Milestones are things like, hey, did you put a dog on three different red rooms? Did you put a dog on three different green rooms? Did you put a dog in at least five different hotels? Did you put three dogs in the same hotel? After you're done tallying those up, the person with the most points wins. 
So that's Sweet Dog Hotel. That's how to play it. And I should probably start off by saying that I am kind of predisposed to not being the biggest fan of tile placement. I don't dislike it, but I just usually don't get on that well with them. I don't like Carcassonne. I don't like Castles of Burgundy. I don't like Patchwork. I did like Baron Park, and I've said that multiple times on the podcast, but generally speaking, it has to be pretty special for me to really, really enjoy it. So usually when I am buying games, because everything we cover on this channel is bought with our own money, we are not supplied any of these free games. So I do what you probably do, and I look up reviews for it. And in this case, I bought it when it was so new that there weren't any reviews for it. But I saw that, hey, it's tile placement, but there's a big key of area majority, so maybe it'll be something special. And Sumachan really likes tile placement, so hey, cute theme, tile placement, let's give it a shot. And we can talk about that right away. Just like, I think the reason that so many people buy this and it's been sold out everywhere for months is because of the amazing art in this game and the cute dog meeples. Um, so going back to the gameplay, though, there are so many things. That it's so weird. They should work. And I see in the game design that I kind of thought there were certain things that were going to be really, really interesting. So, for example, the top hotel is worth the most amount of points in the majority, but it's a trade-off because you will also have to move around the board the most. And I actually forgot to mention earlier that this game works on the ratchet system, which is kind of like Tokaido and Patchwork, where the turn order is not um, who is going next in terms of clockwise and counterclockwise. It's actually who is furthest behind on the path. So there are opportunities for you to get multiple turns in a row. So by going to this hotel that's right up top and having to move forward four spaces when other hotels, you only have to move one space or two spaces or three spaces, it gives your opponent or opponents a chance to have multiple turns. But you're also probably getting to more quickly claim one of the spots in the hotel that is worth the most. So do you want to do that or are you going to just start to build up from the bottom, which is worth less points, but also there's less movement. There's also the milestone tokens that are supposed to be randomized each game. So then you're supposed to be gunning for different things each game. And that means adjusting your strategy from game to game as well. But every time it feels like the game is making one step forward, one step towards a fun game, it never quite works out. It kind of goes clunky. It trips over itself in some way. And I think the milestone markers are one way to really nicely explain it, that in theory, there is some variation, and there technically is some variation there, but they're marked by A, B, C, D. So you randomize the A tiles, pick one A tile. Randomize the B tiles, you pick one B, and things like that. The A tiles are either going to be you need dogs on red or you need dogs on blue, but they're mostly in the same spots on the board. So yeah, this game you're gunning for red, and this game you're going for blue, but ultimately they feel the same. The B tiles are put dogs on green or put dogs on yellow, and those two are basically on the same spots on the board, so those two feel the same. And what kind of is the point of like A and B as well is that those two, you are doing the exact same thing. You are just counting up how many dogs you have on a certain color. So even the variation between what you're doing on A and what you're doing on the B milestones don't feel that different. D never changes, so there's no variation there. And so right off the top of my head, I'm getting, okay, so we have two of the tiles, two of the milestones are basically going to feel the same, and the fourth one is just never going to change. So really, is there that much variation there? And it's kind of that 
Yeah, there is, but it's not great. It also feels like the board was misbalanced. Like there was probably a different iteration of a board and then they changed where the bonus like coins are and the bonus dog treats are so that they could maybe like maybe people were too good at it and were getting too much stuff when they were playtesting it. So they nerfed it down because there seems like there should be a way to get more cafes based on the components that you get with the game. For example, we never got to three cafes that you get with the game and we kind of really really tried to because they are so powerful because there were something like 10 or 9 or 8 majority points which is a lot so of course we'd go to the rule book and make sure that we're playing right and the rule book is just a bit clunky as well there's just a bunch of very ambiguous rule sets in which the examples don't help you figure it out at all now it's worth mentioning that we also, and this is a question that somebody asked us on YouTube of how many times do we play a game before we give a review? And my reply was, I'm, I'm sorry, like, <laughs> honestly, it kind of depends. Some games we end up playing something like 30, 40 times before we ever get around to doing a video on it, like Planet A to C and Ambient Abyssal, its predecessor, like we've played that one a bunch of times before we ever put on a review. Sweet Dog Hotel, we ended up playing six times. Three times at three players and three times at two players, which is the only two player counts that this game plays at. And we didn't end up playing it that much because we ended up not really wanting to. The really the variation was mostly between what it felt like at two and what it felt like at three. If you've ever played Smartphone Inc., that game really sings at five players. And then they really they release an expansion that makes it better at the lower player counts because at the lower player counts, the regular Smartphone Inc. just feels too open. And it feels that way at two players with this one as well. We never really ran into each other that much with this game. And I think that that was part of the problem. We were always able to pivot from one thing to another. Oh, they took the spot that I really wanted. That's okay. I'll go to this one this time and get the milestone marker. It really wasn't that mean, as you would say. And three players, there was a little bit more jostling for position. You weren't able to always get what you wanted either this turn or next turn. So you really had to strategize a little bit more. But still, it was a bit more open than I think I was expecting. Now, I also made sure that I kind of went online because I I really do want to make sure that even though I maybe don't like a game, that if other people are enjoying it, I want to tell you that other people are enjoying it. So I went online and I was reading some reviews that some people found this game to be good when it's mean. You need to go into this game expecting a combative atmosphere. And I wonder if maybe that is where we just didn't see the game going. Maybe because we didn't go in with the expectation that it was going to be a competitive game, we didn't make it one. But if you were going into this game thinking, hey, or maybe introducing this game to someone and saying, hey, this is going to be a combative game, maybe then people are going to start playing more towards that one. And maybe that is where the fun lies in this one. You have to purposely go out and fight for certain spots. We just found that you really didn't have to. Overall, 25% of people in Japan give this a 4 out of 10, 25% of people give this a 5 out of 10, and 25% of people give this a 7. So it kind of ranges somewhere in between a 4 and an 8 online. So it kind of comes down to, do you want to take that risk? And the other thing to tell you, though, and we talked about this earlier with money sets expectations, I really think that part of the key is, again, we buy all of our games. This game costs $40. And I think a lot of that goes towards the really nice meeples and the really nice art. 
but $40 is a lot for a game that doesn't really feel special in any way. There are much better tile placement games out there that are cheaper than this one. Maybe they don't look as good. I will give you that. I will concede that point. This game looks phenomenal. Harasareb did a fantastic job on this one. But I do think that there's plenty out there that you can buy, even multiple games out there that you can buy for $40 that'll give you, I think, more fun than this one. And that is Sweet Dog Hotel, designed by Sunny and Takanari Yamaguchi, and the art is by Harasareb and published by Smart Ape Games. So that was a bit of a down note, but let's see if we can end on a happier one with the what is called modern classic of climbing and shedding, Haggis. Now, Haggis is a climber in Shedder, which just means that you are trying to play cards on the table that is higher than what your opponent plays, and you win by getting rid of your hand first. Now, Haggis is kind of based off of previous climbers and Shedders that are more traditional, stuff like Tichu or Shangfen and Big Two. And it does this in a way that when you are climbing, you can combine cards and you have bombs and you can score for the cards that are left in your opponent's hand if you go out first, but you also get points for the cards that you collected by winning Melt. Each player is also given a Jack, Queen, and King card that act as wild cards. Now, these card combinations can be something like a pair of twos, or three of a kind of twos, a four of a kind of twos, a five of a kind of twos, or you could do something like two, two, three, three, four, four. It, there's tons of combinations that we go through, and there are so many that's actually, I think, easiest to look it up online and see all the different combinations that you do. There's also rainbow bombs that are if you have a three, five, seven, nine. Now, three, five, seven, nine is just a bomb. Different colors are called a rainbow bomb. A 3579 of the same suit, they automatically win the trick. That is a bomb. But the weird thing is, is that if you win with a bomb, it actually goes to the other player. So it's kind of a risk. Like, do you want to end the meld and they get the points from those cards, but at the same time, you got rid of four of the cards from your hand, which is ultimately going to be the thing that gets you a lot of points. The final thing that differentiates this from other climbing and shedding games is that you bet based on how quickly you think you're going to get rid of your hand. If you think you're going to get rid of your hand first, you can bet something like 5 points or 15 points or 30 points. And what this does is if you win that bet, you get those points. But if you lose that bet, your opponent gets those points. And you always play to a certain number of points. The standard is 250, but you can play less or more depending on what you want. So betting is a way of kind of being able to come back if you're down, but also a way of ramping up the heat and saying, this game is over. I got you here. Now, if you're hearing about this game for the first time on this podcast, then you might be sitting there a little bit confused. And honestly, you're going to probably feel that way for the first time during this game as well. There is just so much you can do with your hand. And Haggis is a game in which you need to kind of lay out a plan right away. You're going to get your hand of cards and you're going to see all the different possibilities of runs you're able to do, pairs or three of a kinds or four of a kind that you have in your hand. Maybe you're able to use the wild cards to make it so that it's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, that's an amazing play. But when do I play that? 
Do I use the nine that I have here as a part of a run, or do I use it as part of a three of a kind? Which one is my opponent not going to be able to do? Do I rush really quick and try to get rid of my cards so that I get more points because they have more cards in their hand when I'm done? But then again, if I try doing that and I'm not able to get my hand fully gone, then they can come back and there's no way that I can beat what they play. So then then maybe they're actually able to beat me. So maybe I should actually save the cards in my hand, but then I'm not going to get many points from the cards that's left in their hand. It's a really strange game to think about. And it is one of those games that you feel completely lost, even though the rules aren't overly complicated. There is so much that you can do that I think you can get bogged down by choice. There is just so much that you can do that you don't know what to do. And so I think that's why that first game doesn't feel like you're bogged down by the rules. It feels like you're bogged down by choice. And that is a weird thing to explain to people, especially people who are familiar with climbing and shedding games to go, okay, I'm going to introduce you to a game. You're going to get kind of lost the first time. No, it's not because the rules are complicated. It's just because of the way that the game works. But saying that, and I did stress that point just because I don't want the first game to be like, make you not want to play it again, because you start really getting it. Even by the end of the first game, you start having fun with it. You start being able to trash talk and learn how to bet. And betting is really where you're going to start stepping up your game. Because for the first couple games of Haggis, I just never bet. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know when to do it. And then suddenly it started to click of, oh, this is a way that I can catch up when I'm down. Or, oh, I actually have a really good hand, I think. I might bet. Because when somebody bets that they are going to beat you, it turns what your strategy is going to be. You want to make sure that you beat them because you want those points, especially if they bet 30 on you. You're like, wow, you are way too confident that you're going to win this hand. I want to make sure that you lose because I want those 30 points. But more than that, I just want you to be wrong. And it is so deliciously interesting. And what also makes this game kind of stand out is that I personally think this game is best at two. A two-player climbing and shedding game that is this good should not be allowed, but it is. I know a lot of people also like it at three. I just find it best at two. So whereas Planet A to C was like, hey, this is only a two or three-player game, but it's basically unplayable at two. You then have this game that is playable at two or three. It is good at three, but incredible at two. And this is mostly based on my preference to just learn the opponent that I'm playing. I talked about it uh, when we talked about Ossel earlier this game. Of There is a nuance to learning how your opponent is going to play this game. And that is really what I enjoy about Haggis. I've enjoyed many of my games of Haggis playing against the same opponents over and over again, learning what they want to do, learning if they prefer to rush or to sit back, learning when they are going to bet and if they bet, how confident they actually are. Are they one that bets out of a bluff to see if they can get me to act on it? Or are they betting because they are just a really confident one? If they bet 30, am I just done for? And I feel like Haggis goes in the collection in the same spot. And I know that this is said elsewhere, so this isn't really an original thought. But I feel like Haggis goes with the same people who enjoy Tichu. If you enjoy Tichu, 
you will enjoy Haggis. And it is vice versa. If you play Haggis and you enjoy Haggis, I think you will like Tichu. Now, Tichu is a partnership game. It is a game that you play at four players. And Haggis, you play at two. Maybe that's even the difference here. Maybe if you get better at Haggis, you are going to be better at Tichu. Maybe if you've played Tichu, you are going to immediately be better at Haggis. I'm not really sure because I'm terrible at both. So, I don't know if that's a causation correlation thing. But... I think that they belong in that same semblance of a game that, I mean, Tichu is a traditional game, but Haggis feels in the same vein of it. And for a game that came out in 2010 to feel this traditional, to feel this much of a game that I want to learn how to do better, I want to learn it with the same person, is really something special. I can see why this is called a modern classic. I can see why it is being reprinted, I believe, by Portland Game Collective. They are redoing this with some Sai Beppu art. I can see why people were craving for a new print copy since it went out of print from Indie Boards and Cards, and I am so happy that you are going to get a chance to play it. If you want to try this out, I do think BGA is a great place to start because it does all the point counting for you so you can just worry about learning how to play in the first bit and then once the new version comes out you can then pick up a physical copy if you like it and i think that many of you if you enjoy the kind of games that i've been talking about on this podcast and on my youtube if you have followed along and like what i like i think you're going to enjoy haggis and that's Haggis, designed by Sean Ross. The version that I played has art by Gary Simpson, and it was originally published by Indie Boards and Cards. Well, that is going to be it for today. Thank you so much for joining us for another review episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us by email at boardgamedojopodcast at gmail.com. You can message us on Twitter at the BG Dojo and on Instagram at boardgamedojo. We have started on a two podcast a week and two YouTube video a week schedule. So there's going to be a lot of content coming from us. So make sure that you are subscribed to both. And if you like them, please, 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 please leave a review. It really helps out the algorithm. As always, thank you so, so, so much for listening. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time, chan-nee.